in the squadron. They called him Bullets, but we call him Greg Kelly. Greg Kelly is on the air on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You made it. Made it to Florida. Hello. This is Florida, South Florida. This is, oh my gosh, this is where we should all be forever. This is this is the way to live. And it doesn't have all that much to do with Ron DeSantis. Yes, I know, very clever guy. But Florida has been a great place for a very long time. And uh, anyway, um, is he going anywhere more on that in a little bit? Donald Trump had some great things to say about the whole process and where we are right now. Uh, I, quite frankly, getting down to Florida was no big whoop. It was just like Billy Joel says, hop a, hop a flight to Miami Beach, right? It just get on that plane. Everybody in the world, uh, if you're eligible, and I think if you're an American citizen, you're eligible. The only thing you have to do is go to the airport, uh, when you're not going on a trip. You gotta sign up for, what do they call it? PSA. The TSA's PSA program. Pre-check. Uh, pre-check. So you, you get a special line. It feels like you're a first class, uh, almost like you're on a private jet. You you get preferred treatment, and it's authorized by the U.S. government. All you got to do is, uh, well, I guess they do a background check on you, make sure you're not a terrorist or all those things. And uh, once you go through that, and it costs like 150 bucks. And I remember I once had to go to the airport to get my picture taken, and. Anyway, then you get to go on that special line where there's never really much of a line. Pre-check, TSA pre-check. It was, it was fantastic. Right up until the time they said, you don't have to take off your shoes. I'm like, fantastic. Really? You don't have to take off your belt. You don't have to take off your jacket. And I was going through with a baby in my arms. And sure enough, the machine started going off and I had to come out. And yep, there's a little bit of metal on my belt. Okay. Take that off. And then. Oh, there's a little bit of metal on my shoes. I got those little buckles. Uh, and uh, you ever see Ferragamos? I got those, and they're really cool. But anyway, the machine kept on going off, and I had a baby in my arms, and it was kind of like, okay, you know, it's this. I would have just taken this stuff off from the get-go, but uh, nope, I had to go through three times, and that's fine. Uh, although it was very, it was, it was, uh, it was a moment of crisis. Actually, there's something. I, how do the women do it with a baby? I mean, this is like the third time I actually had to travel with a kid. It's been very, it's been a long time since the last time. And man, you imagine bringing kids to school every day? I'm glad I don't have to do it. I love my children, but, uh, you know, just the logistics of, of moving them around. I love the fun stuff, birthday parties, going to the park. Um, but everything else is, I mean, it's, it just takes a lot of work. One is one, one is three, a hell of a lot of supervision. It's Friday. Memorial Day weekend. Does it feel like Memorial Day weekend? No one really seems to be talking about sacrifice or our nation's fallen heroes. I hear a lot about uh, gay pride. Everybody gearing up. This is like gay pride eve. The week before gay pride month, everybody's everybody's really excited. Wait a second. I got a message here from my, hi, everything good? Okay. Um, the Target, the stores, everybody from... Well, even JetBlue had a little bit of gay pride going. Uh, they're getting ready for it. Gay Pride Month is going to be the biggest gay pride month ever. And uh, hold on a second here. This is like a special little machine we're playing with. Does it sound okay? Do I sound weird? What's wrong? Uh, all right. Is it better yet? Okay. Um, anyway, that story wasn't worth all that anyway. It was uh, uh, gay pride. is uh, It's all gay pride all the time. All George Floyd all the time. 
But let's remember this is Memorial Day. On, on Memorial Day, I think of, well, I think of all the guys who died serving their country who I was friends with. And it's amazing, actually. I know about a dozen guys who have been in a dozen plane crashes. It's some You see really crazy stuff when you join the military. Great stuff, but also crazy stuff. Does anybody know uh, 12 different people who are in 12 different plane crashes? Um, that's unlikely, but if you're in the military, if you flew in the military, you probably do. And because you fly those planes uh, to the very, very limit, to the to the edge of the envelope, and sometimes you exceed the envelope. And I think of three guys who I served with, and um, one I met who I didn't serve with, but I met as a journalist. Anyway, I think of Glenn Blaisdell. He was a first lieutenant in the Marine Corps. We went through flight school together. And a few months after he graduated from flight school, he was landing his F-18 Hornet in Jacksonville, Florida. And there was some sort of computer system glitch, and the plane just rolled inverted on its own. And a short time later, he was killed. Uh, the plane essentially landed upside down. Uh, let's see, Dale Mulkey. He was 26 years old. That was a long time ago, 1995. But these guys, you never forget them. Dale Mulkey, he taught me how to fly a jet at very low altitude. Imagine flying uh, JetBlue, right? You're going pretty fast. You're going, what, 400 miles per hour at 32,000 feet, and that's great. Imagine going 40, uh, 400 miles per hour at 100 feet. Uh, you can do that, and there's a way to do it. And uh, Dale Mulkey, Captain Dale Mulkey, taught me how to do that. He was 30 years old when he was on a night mission in 1996, I believe, over Southern California, he was dropping a bomb, a real live bomb, on a practice target, night operations. And that's kind of, uh, you, you don't think about this. You think about planes carrying bombs, fighter jets, bombers, they carry bombs. That's kind of dangerous, just being that close to a bomb. Well, one of the bombs just detonated in midair, uh, still attached to the plane. And he was killed instantly. And then I think of... Uh, Steve Freeman, he died in an A-4 Skyhawk jet. He was actually technically at the time a civilian. He was in the, well, he worked for an airplane dealer, and they they repossessed airplanes. You've heard of repo men? You know, if you don't, if you fall behind on the car payments, well, they have the same thing for planes, and he would go get the planes. And anyway, he was a great warrior. I got to, oops, who the hell is this? Well, everything's okay. Remember when Rudy Giuliani got the phone call during the uh, campaign? Hello, dear? Yes, I'm talking to the uh, uh, the National Rifle Association. How can I help you? Um, is Rudy in today? I'm looking at Rudy's house. He lives in the most amazing community. I'll just say, he, he talks about this, right? Palm Beach, California, Palm Beach, Florida is just, it's paradise. It is a special little Island. There's nothing like it in the world. I think it's, I think it's just marvelous. Anyway, oh, we got to get back to George Floyd though. Three years ago, right now, George Floyd, that great American. No, not really. Of course not. Uh, look, I wish everybody lived to be a hundred years old, but George Floyd, well, he was a bad guy. I, I'm looking at a mural with him, and he's got a. Uh, they put a halo over his head. He was a criminal and a drug addict, and, you know, look, he had a lot of bad breaks in life, and uh, he made a lot of bad mistakes trying to steal from that store, uh, pass off the uh, the phony $20 bill. What else happened there? All right, hold on one second. Hey, you hear that? 
You hear that banging? Okay. <laughs> There's a reason why we do these uh, radio shows in studio, right? All right, someone's hammering something. The plumber has come to fix the sink. Um, look, bottom line, George Floyd, no hero whatsoever. And here's something you have to understand about Georgie. He died not by asphyxiation, not by strangulation. He died for a number of reasons, and you can go look it up in the autopsy. He had heart problems. He had enough fentanyl in a man to kill him, uh, kill him a couple of times over. The coroner himself said that if George Floyd were found alone, dead in a home, in a house, well, uh, case closed. The fentanyl killed him. Um, there was enormous political pressure on the uh, coroner to come up with, well, what the people wanted to hear and what what Black Lives Matter wanted to hear. But the uh, the details, well, the details aren't always as uh, convenient and as, you know, fit all together as the mainstream media would like. This is from 2020, everybody. Actually, we'll go through this, please. The chief medical examiner who deemed George Floyd's death a homicide testified that nobody pressured him to include anything in his autopsy report as defense attorneys at the trial of three former Minneapolis police officers charged with violating Floyd's civil rights raised questions about how Floyd died. Federal prosecutors say... I'm going to skip all that. Dr. Andrew Baker, Hennepin's County's chief medical officer, said Floyd died after police subdued with a neck compression maneuver and caused his heart and lungs to stop. He said heart disease and drug use were factors, but not the top line causes. He said Floyd had an enlarged heart that needed more oxygen than normal, as well as narrowed arteries. However, one of the attorneys for the defendant asked on Tuesday, whether Baker was pressured into listing neck compression as a factor in the autopsy report. Baker testified that he told prosecutors on the day of Floyd's autopsy that there was no physical evidence of asphyxia or insufficient oxygen. Prosecutors put that information in their initial complaint against Chauvin and listed existing health conditions, police restraint and potential intoxicants as contributing factors, but not the cause of death. Baker said his office received hundreds of calls from harassing and threatening individuals. Former Washington, D.C. medical examiner Dr. Roger Mitchell, who was an expert in autops in, in, in custody deaths, also called Baker and was unhappy. This is a retired medical examiner who calls him up, oh, by the way. Baker said that the two talked about neck compression and Mitchell also planned to publish a critical op-ed in the Washington Post. Baker said he considered Mitchell's opinion and analysis before adding neck compression to his report. You see what happened? They wrote a report, and there was no evidence of asphyxiation, so it wasn't in it. It wasn't in the report. And then everybody got mad. Well, wait a second. No, what? What? The, the, we saw. We, we saw it on TV. You have to put it in. It was on TV. And this guy goes ahead and puts it in. He just puts it in because people complain. Have you ever heard of calling a coroner and saying, we don't like the results that you came up with, come up with something else? He testified that Floyd said, I can't breathe during a struggle in a police vehicle before he was restrained. Uh, the attorney asked him if it was possible that Floyd was having trouble breathing because he was experiencing a cardiac event, to which Baker replied that it was possible, but he couldn't say for sure. Floyd, 46, struggled with officers 
when they tried to put him in the vehicle and after they put him on the ground, the killing, which was recorded on cell phone video and posted online, triggered protests worldwide and a re-examination of racism and policing. You know, even raising these questions, you feel like you're on thin ice. You know, pointing out, pointing out facts, pointing out that it's not so cut and dried. Very few things in life are, right? I mean, this is, nothing is, nothing is as it seems sometimes. Hey, in a little while, we're going to be joined by Cara Castronova. She's an amazing citizen, uh, a, a true citizen. You know, she's very active. You might call her an activist, but she's a citizen. She happens to be a great uh, former boxer, and she ran for the assembly in New York State. It did not work out, but uh, nobody has advocated for the January 6th political prisoners like she has. Well, how can you advocate for them? They uh, they brought on an insurrection. They're anti. No, no, no. There's so many people who didn't hurt anybody, who didn't break anything. At this point, even raising questions about the election, is that a threat to democracy? Is our democracy that fragile? If you wanted to raise questions about the 2000 vote, you know, Michael Moore is one of the heroes of the political left. He made that whole movie about how George W. Bush was an illegitimate president. Back then, I liked that movie. I agreed that George W. Bush was an illegitimate president. I wasn't satisfied with what happened in Florida, but he was the president. He signed the per- the paperwork. Was he a threat to democracy? Why is it that you can't talk about things that, well, I think the First Amendment kind of trumps anything that the New York Times says or anything that even some federal judge says. The federal judge who sentenced, uh, uh, what's his name, this uh, the Oath Keeper, Rhodes, he got 18 years in prison, 18 years sentenced to. He did not break anything. He did not hurt anybody. He may have lots of views that you don't agree with. I may not agree with all of his views. But there's something really, really wrong here. And thank God, President Trump, I mean, literally, like, the only guy in America. Forget about presidential candidate. The only person in America, in addition to, uh, well, Kara and a few others, too small, sticking up for these folks because they're being railroaded. And uh, and pointing that out is not a threat to democracy, okay? And by the way, you're undermining democracy by just saying it's a threat to democracy. Give me a moment. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You see uh, Kathy Hochul and Eric Adams, uh, you know, huffing and puffing on television Regarding the illegal aliens, but that's all it is. Uh, they don't not want them here. Uh, they want them here. It's, they're definitely, they're co-conspirators. They're complicit in this great big plot, uh, to get these folks to start voting. Remember, it was about, uh, what was it a year ago that the, the, the city council actually passed a law that said you only have to be in America for six months before you can start voting. And it doesn't matter if you're a non-citizen. Uh, this is, this is their dream. Um, they're going to start voting. They're going to start voting soon. And if that actually happens, if that goes forward, now that was thrown out by the city council, but there are larger forces at work who want this to happen. 
the only guy, I believe, the only guy who's capable of turning this thing around and turning this stuff off is Donald Trump. I got a good look at DeSantis this week. Sorry, it's just uh, he doesn't have it, and he's not going to be able to stand up to the billionaire class. And that's kind of the class that I'm most concerned about, actually. You know, the woke left, yeah, they're terrible. But the the billionaire class, so unaccountable. Um, and uh, look, they want cheap labor. And I think they're in cahoots with the left. They want the votes. And it's a very bad stew. Now, wait, is this a few minutes ago? Okay, Trump put this out regarding the whole, uh, well, the whole playing field right now. Go ahead. Biden's puppet masters, like George Soros, are hoping for a long, drawn-out Republican primary. They want to divide us so they can quietly buy the White House for Crooked Joe. That's why the Republican Party needs to unite behind the standard bearer of the MAGA movement. This is a Make America Great Again movement and our successful America First agenda. Polls show I'm leading the Republican field by 40 and even 50 points. And polls also show, very importantly, that I'm the only candidate who can beat Joe Biden, and we're beating him by a lot right now, by a lot. Remember, we ran two elections, and we won both, and we did much better the second time, but it was rigged. With your support today, we will lock up the Republican nomination so that we can focus all of our energy and resources on beating Crooked Joe and winning back the White House in 2024. If we don't do it, our country is in trouble like we've never seen before. But we're going to do it, and we're going to make America greater than ever before. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Great statement. Um, this is uh, That doesn't mean Ron DeSantis can't run for president and these other guys can't run for president, but they will be vanquished. And I think this thing will be locked up very, 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 very early. We're talking, uh, when did he clinch it the last time? Uh, it was March, April, April. Although Romney was still talking about mm, taking this thing to the convention floor, some of these billionaires—that's what they want to do. They want to, they want to milk it. They think that if DeSantis makes it to California and Super Tuesday, that can turn it all around for Ron. It's the, what the billionaires want, not what the people want. Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right, you know how I feel about January 6th, all right? I do believe false flag operation. I wonder why those cops were just letting people inside. I wonder what the hell, Jacob Chansey, why were they leading him around? Why were the Capitol Police showing him the joint, escorting him into the U.S. Senate? Ashley Babbitt being killed by that cop and nobody, <laughs> nobody saying boo? Are you crazy? All right. Now, uh, some of the sentencing, the sentencings are starting to happen. Big O Barnett just the other day got four and a half years in federal prison. Why? Because he put his feet up on Nancy Pelosi's desk. What is she, the queen? Hey, the door was open. Uh, he didn't break anything. He didn't hurt anybody. Enrique Tario, I feel the same way about him. They've lied about him, trying to say that he's a white supremacist. Now, I don't know nearly as much about Stuart Rhodes. He's from the Oath Keepers, and I don't know much about the Oath Keepers, but he just got 18 years for his role on January 6th. Uh, he wasn't there on, on January 6th, but Judge Meta said to him, You, sir, present an ongoing threat and a peril to this country, to the republic, and the very fabric of our democracy. 
Um, now some of that, I think some of that rhetoric is a bit over the top. And in the, in the Times here, they say uh, that he continues to further the lie that the election was not won by Joe Biden. Um, number one, I think he really believes that. A lot of people believe that. You can't throw people in jail for that. However, we, uh, we, you and me, and uh, we condemn violence, and violence is not the answer. But what the hell is going on here with Stuart Rhodes and the Oath Keepers? We thought we'd bring in Cara Castronova, an amazing patriot. She's been following the January 6th stuff uh, like no one else has, and she's been sticking up for some of these folks who have been politically persecuted. Cara, welcome back. How are you? Good. How are you? Thank you for having me on. You bet. So, look, what is the deal with this Stuart Rhodes character? Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? What's happening here? I mean, he's. I think he was prosecuted, and now he's being, you know, going to jail for thought crimes. He was not never went inside the Capitol, and there's no evidence that he told anyone to do so. And he's being sentenced to 18 years in prison for seditious conspiracy, which is a ridiculous charge. And uh, Judge Mehta, the sentencing judge, is a really not a good guy at all, a very unfair judge. And I, it's my personal belief after the research that I've done that the judges are colluding, which is obviously unconstitutional, there's three branches of government, with the Department of Justice when it comes to all these January 6th cases, because there's no good judges, and that's impossible. Usually there's a couple bad seats here and there, but when every single judge is acting a certain way, you know that there's some sort of command coming from the top, and that's what I believe. And in the case of Stuart Rhodes, the government was asking for 25 years, and I didn't think he was going to get more than five, six years, considering the evidence that, uh, you know, was presented in court against him, although he was found guilty with the D.C. jury. I thought that the judge would be able to see that, you know, he really didn't do anything, anything close to seditious conspiracy, but unfortunately, he was actually um, given 18 years, which is very concerning, Greg, because, you know, they're going to try to do with the Proud Boys what they're doing with the Oath Keepers. Uh, I know Enrique Tarrio was concerned because he said, I'm very curious to see what they give Stuart Rhodes. I think they're going to try to do the same with me, if not more. So, Say thought crime, and I think you're on to something, because I'm looking through this story here, and it's like, he believes this, he believes that, he believes this, he believes that. Uh, I'm trying to look at the actual actions that that he pulled off now, and I can't find it in this story, but what about... And you've heard rumblings about this. There's been noise about this, although I don't know what the facts are. Got to be honest, because the reporting has been, well, rather sparse on this matter. Was he staging guns right outside of uh, Washington D.C. and was he assembling some sort of, you know, quick reaction force or something to come in? What's that yeah. all about? That's what they allegedly say. With the, what the government says that that was uh, they were staging. For in case Donald Trump uh, wanted to invoke the Insurrection Act, that was actually their defense, um, which I thought was actual and very interesting defense. Uh, the fact is that you're not allowed to bring guns into Washington, D.C., so the majority of the Oath Keepers, as we know, nobody was really found with a gun there in D.C. that day, um, stored their guns in Virginia at the hotel rooms where, uh, you know, it's different there with the, with the gun laws, and that's what happened. But the government is saying that they were storing them there, uh, they were Trump's army. Uh, if Trump, you know, asked them to do so, they would storm into D.C. with these guns, which they did. That's that's that. That was what the government was alleging. So, um, you know, I don't think there was really much truth to that at all. But and they they're they're the actually D.C. they're trying to follow the law by keeping the guns out of Washington, D.C. Exactly. Right. If they were it's been set on this insurrection like they were uh, accused of, they would have brought them into D.C. They would have been violent. The group of Oath Keepers that were on trial with Stuart Rhodes were one of the most nonviolent groups that entered the Capitol. First of all, Stuart Rhodes never entered the Capitol, but the four people that he went to trial with as co-defendants 
did go inside and they marched in a straight line. They, they There's videos and helping police, asking police if they need help, uh, just marching in a straight military-like line right in the door and right out the door and did nothing violent whatsoever. And there was no... Uh, what, there was no evidence whatsoever of them planning to even do that. They just kind of followed the crowd in, just like the Proud Boys did. Everything that day was just kind of everybody following the crowd. Keeps on saying the judge, you know, this impulse threatens democracy. These these ideas uh, undermine democracy. Let's see here. Uh, we heard from Harry Dunn, the big mouth cop, who's still a cop. Uh-huh. He's still a Capitol Hill police officer. It's unbelievable making outrageous political statements day in and day out. That is an armed, unelected agent of the state yelling and screaming about January 6th and how they've all traumatized him, although I see he seems to be doing fine on his book tour. He shows up on MSNBC literally uh, every other day. He says this about himself as he went. He was one of the victim impact uh, statements, right? He went there to say how he was impacted. He said, I am an introverted, depressed shell of my former self, said Harry Dunn, a Capitol Hill police officer who encountered members of the Oath Keepers in the Capitol Rotunda. Uh, He said on January 6th, the real Oath Keepers were the cops. Um, He shot an angry glance toward Mr. Rose and other members of the group in the courtroom. Uh, It's unclear to me whether he actually saw uh, Rhodes. And I got to tell you right here, we know he's not introverted and a depressed former shell of himself. He's all over the place. This guy's never had it so good. Right. It's crazy. I mean, they, they bring him into the courtroom for these statements because he's a, you know, he, he cries like on cue. He, he pours down the fake tears. And um, he's the officer that said to the January 6th committee that he was called the N-word. When I've seen the majority of the video that almost nobody else has seen, I've seen a lot of it. And not only have I not seen anything of anyone calling him the N-word, I've, I, I didn't even hear anybody use that word. At all that day. So it's crazy how he got on the stand and was able to just say this without any proof. I mean, there was no body cam footage. There was no video. You know, if there was video, they would have for sure exploited it on the mainstream media. But there was none. So in my opinion, he, you know, he, he made that up. That's my opinion. And um, he's the perfect victim witness or whatever they want to call him because he's so easily able to just cry on cue. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think he's lying about the N-word thing. I mean, look. It's a horrible word. It shouldn't be uttered. And if it was uttered, I mean, that would bring great disrespect or disgrace upon who's ever uttering it. I mean, it's so stupid and, and ignorant. And and he made such a, a, a spectacle out of accusing MAGA of calling him that. Where's the evidence? Why not? We have all that video, as you mentioned. Well, all right. So, look, Kara, how did you get involved in this? I mean, there are a lot of things going on. Uh, you're a New Yorker, right? So... Yes. Why? And I admire you and you actually held another like a kind of a tell us a little bit about what you did a few months after January 6th. You did something special in Washington, D.C. We did a political prisoner rally to, to let everybody know that there were political prisoners because they were hiding it. Nobody knew about it, even the right side media. And when I even told uh, reporters from, you know, certain organizations, even like Epoch Times, who now reports on it, they didn't believe me. They said, we have to fact check this. This can't be possible. They're, they're not holding pretrial detainees in solitary confinement in Washington, D.C. This was three or four months after January 6th. We're going on two years and three months more or more now. And the majority of those same people are still there in pretrial detainment, still awaiting trial. The majority of them nonviolent offenders. And they're still in D.C. jail right now as we speak, two years and three months later. So when we did that rally, when I did that rally, uh, 
three months after January 6th, never did I think that we would still be dealing with the same stuff, if not worse. I can never have expected in my wildest dreams 18 years. For me, I got into it because I was there on January 6th. I witnessed with my own eyes what happened. I felt like the news really uh, didn't tell the truth about what happened. And All right, wait, hold on. Tell us video. where you were on January 6th. Where, where were you? I was observing really from the sidewalk and just watching everything go on. And I remember family and friends contacting me, asking me, are you all right? Oh, my God, are you dead? Like, really, really concerned. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Why are they so freaking out? And then later on when I saw what the news was showing, I'm like, oh, my God, this is completely different than what I saw and what I experienced. And, uh, to, you know, to tell you the truth, a couple months after uh, January 6th, I got a visit from the FBI to my door. Um, you know, wanting to ask me questions. They said that somebody had reported me. And obviously, if there was any evidence that I did anything wrong, I would, I'm certain would be in jail right now. But for me, my decision was to double down and really start speaking out for the January 6ers because it did go through my head, right? And maybe I should just shut up and stop talking about this so that the FBI leaves me alone. And I was like, no, I can't do that. I have to actually go the opposite way and, and keep speaking out and, and doing more because I understood how it felt like to be terrified from the FBI just giving you a visit, which so many people I know, including journalists, have had these visits and have had these calls from the FBI sort of asking you, oh, what do you know? We have a report on you. Um, you know, somebody reported you for going inside the building, which I didn't do, obviously. Um, and they do that, I think, to get, number one, information off of your phone at the time and photos that you might have because you're a journalist taking pictures. And number two, are you into shutting up? Yeah. So um, that was my experience, and that was kind of a changing moment for me when they came to my house. Wow, because you were exercising, you know what, you know, the, they may disagree with you, they may hate Trump, they may you know, think the election was perfect, but you're allowed in America to think things, okay? You're allowed to disagree with people, and you're allowed to gather and peaceably assemble and petition the government, you're allowed to do these things. They may not agree with the cause, but you're allowed to, and the FBI showed up. Now, let's be clear again, and we have to, of course, because you know how people will misreact and overreact. You were not in, you did not go in the Capitol, and certainly you didn't break anything and it didn't hurt anybody. You are, you were basically an American citizen standing on the street. And oh, by the way, when those calls started coming into you, you know, are you dead and that kind of thing, there's a, there's a real gap between what was actually being shown on television at times, even on January 6th, and what people were saying about what was happening on January 6th. You can look at the Capitol, uh, live pictures on January 6th, and I've done this on my show, and you see people just standing around. I mean, literally, that's what you see. And then the anchors are saying, look at these insurrectionists, this scum of the earth, and look at them trying to tear down the government. I'm like, what are you talking about? We, we don't see that. That's not what those pictures show they're they're willing something and then i even cnn had to admit that you know some of the worst stuff you know and there were some bad things but you didn't see it until days later so all right now really go ahead i wanted to tell you that um well even they didn't report accurately at all that day and one of the things that they didn't report on was the fact that a lot of the people that were angry and screaming and yelling was because there were you know grenades being shot out at the crowd people were being tear gassed like the cops at that that were there the day for whatever the reason, not sure where they got the orders, were tear gassing the crowd, were rubber bulleting the crowd. And, um, you know, that tear gas is proven to make people very agitated. It says it on actually the uh, pamphlet that comes with it. I've seen it. So these people were acting in such a way that was uncharacteristic, but they never mentioned on the news that they were being antagonized at the time with uh, grenades and rubber bullets and cops being 
nope. uh, uncharacteristically violent towards Trump supporters. That well, day. that's something I did see myself. I've seen that. There's a TikTok video. Unfortunately, there, it's uh, there's all kinds of it's. You've seen the video, and it's it's very jerky, and it's on a phone. But you see a bunch of people standing there, and then flash grenades going off in the middle of the crowd. All right. So look, right now, I mean, people are getting sentenced. I believe over sentenced. Some are, should, shouldn't have been charged to begin with. Um, it doesn't look like it's going very well for these political prisoners. And what's going to happen next? I mean, I, I suppose you have a lot of hope, as I do, that President Trump gets elected. He said he'd pardon some of these people or commute sentences or at least take a very close look at it. And that's what he's inclined to do. I am hoping that he wins. Uh, I mean, it's the only hope at this point uh, is pardon because, you know, these sentencings are not going to get any shorter. Nobody's going to fa- get found not guilty in D.C., so I think that President Trump really is the only hope um, for these guys. I don't think there's any other Republican president that would pardon them. No. And I mean, you know, look, for those who are crazy about uh, Ron DeSantis, I have not heard him say much, if anything, about that. And the, the people he works for, the billionaires, you know, that they're not. Uh, no, they, they're not. They're not sympathetic. They're not sympathetic at all. All right, Kara, how do we uh, how do we find you? How do we uh, follow you? How do people, if they want to get involved? In, uh, in the stuff you're up to. Follow me at Cara Castronova on Twitter, and then I'm you generally posting what's up. And then you could also uh, go to the Gateway Plans and read my articles, just type my name in, and I report extensively on this. And, um, you know, we might be doing a rally this summer uh, asking judges to recuse themselves and for changes of venue finally for these cases, which obviously shouldn't be in D.C. And it's time that someone and the GOP Congress actually started looking at these cases and saying maybe there needs to be a change of venue at this point. Amazing. Cara Castronova. Cara. Thank you so much, Greg. Uh, You bet. You bet. To be continued, and we'll be right back. Greg Kelly. Entertaining and informative. On the Red Apple Podcast Network. All right. Good stuff. Thank you again uh, for your support of the Newsmax show, making a major, major impact. Uh, We are we're making cable news history over there and uh, absolutely love it although i am off tonight carl higby navy seal will be filling in uh, the navy seals are really really intense he's a great guy the training I've, I've had my concerns about this for a long time might even be too intense some of that training uh i'll have more about that later all right mike in st james what's going on hello greg do you still plan on running for mayor uh i haven't ruled it out yet i'm looking at it it's about 30 months away, the election. I know. Do you think this city could last that long, the way the budget is going with the uh, billion-dollar charges for illegals? Yeah, uh, there's a uh, that's a good question as well. Uh, we're teetering on the brink. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. There, yeah, is there, become, a, is there going to be a city to lead in uh, in 30 months? You wonder. If you become mayor, would you, as the buses arrive, would you have the authority to reroute them to, say, uh, Washington, D.C.? The buses wouldn't get to New York. If I were the mayor, number one, the very first thing I would do is uh, uh, sue every single bus company that's involved in that. Uh, I would accuse them of uh, trafficking and uh, assisting cartels. There's so many things. I was talking to this lawyer. You need an aggressive lawyer. You need a creative lawyer. But you could you could scare off those bus companies from coming to New York like that. All right. It's not that hard. Number one. Number two, I would send um, 500 New York City police officers and uh, I'd also work with the sheriff's office, move them down there to uh, Texas uh, for intelligence gathering and more. 
I'd also explore uh, there's certain aspects of the public health law that you could invoke, and you could actually pull buses over as they come into New York City, and uh, the individuals would not be allowed to stay, or you put them immediately into quarantine, and there's a way you can do that. Uh, if you look up, oh, by the way, what was the movie? Godfather Part Two. Remember when uh, when Vito Corleone gets off the boat and they they put him? They say you got to stay on Ellis Island for uh, for three months. You've got tuberculosis. Do you remember that? It actually happened. There are all kinds of things now. Eric, uh, he's you know his creativity. You know all he knows how to do is match shirts and ties. He doesn't he doesn't think like this. He just he loves the attention. He loves the party. He loves the nightlife. And uh, he has fewer and fewer friends, oh, by the way. You need allies. You need alliances. I'd also, and I'd be working on this months before I become mayor, even years, start talking to Governor Abbott of Texas, making him an ally, not an antagonist, not an enemy. Uh, thank you. Let's see. Uh, Sandra, hey, how are you? Hi, Greg. You sound so good and so calm. I think Florida works well for you there. <laughs> um, I, you know, I just wanted to tell you, I went to Target yesterday just to see the situation with the Pride Month. So my first reaction to the Pride section was, oh, how colorful and how alluring it will be for these young children to want to buy these items on display. So I don't have a problem with colorful rainbows and joyful colors, which will attract children. But I do have a problem when they learn how to read and they ask me, what does queer mean, et cetera, which maybe I'm going to feel they're not ready for an answer, and I might, need, I might not even be able to give them the right answer. So this department is going to be difficult for parents with children who can read. And what the hell do we need the people of Target introducing this conversation? Not only Target, you know, <laughs> the Los Angeles Dodgers, for crying out loud, all right? Every aspect of society uh, highlighting this stuff, desperately trying to shove it down uh, children's throats and parents' throats. Hmm? This is uh, this is not a money-making operation. They want to change society. And there are a lot of very powerful people. There's this, too. There's a little bit of self-preservation at work, all right? You know, I don't know who the hell the uh, head of Target is. Let's, let's, look, let's look the individual up, all right? Let's look him up right now. Who's the CEO of Target? I am going to just guess for a moment. Could be wrong. That it's a white male. All right, let me just see. CEO of Target is CEO of. Oh, I put get. Hold on a second. CEO Target Stores is Brian Cornell, and he is a white man. All right. Now there are a lot of white men out there who have power, and they want to keep it, and they'll go along with the woke mob, do anything they have to, just so they keep their position, and. Um, that's not working out for us, is it? All right? For for America. Be right back. Greg Kelly, Greg Kelly. on the Red Apple Podcast Network. I don't think this Brian Cornell guy is going to make it the CEO of Target. Um, it's one thing he, he all right, does what everybody else is doing, pushing all the woke gay stuff uh, in a store. What does Target have to do with any of that, right? Target is just a, you know, go there for, what do you buy at Target? I don't know, just garbage cans, cheap clothes, uh, maybe uh, – it's, it's like Kmart, right? It's a little bit like Walmart. I haven't been to a Target in a long time. They got everything in there. Um, you don't think about sexuality much. It's uh, 
It's not gay. It's not uh, straight. It's just a store. But now everything's got to be something, right? So he he had them put all this LGBTQ plus stuff up for kids in the front of the store. And now it's out of the store. Actually, it's in the back. And now the LGBTQ activists are really upset with him. Uh, so when everybody's mad at you, you're in trouble. All right. It's one thing if, uh, you know, you're a liberal and the conservatives are mad at you, you're probably going to be okay. Uh, if you're, uh, if you're, if the liberals are mad at you and you're a liberal, you're probably in trouble. But if the liberals and the conservatives are really furious with you, your days are numbered. Um, let's see here. A week before Target decided to remove some of its LGBTQ plus pride merchandise following a backlash of some of its trans friendly products, trans friendly. The company's CEO, Brian Cornell, spoke out in praise of the retailer embracing diversity to make good business decisions and drive up sales. This guy's been there since 2015. Yeah, he's done. Cornell said on Fortune's Leadership Next podcast last week, excuse me, that the company realized it had to do more in terms of its commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. After the police killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis, Minnesota in 2020, you know what? You're a store. Just be a store. You don't have to do more about anything, all right? Just just sell the stuff. Keep the prices low if you can. You're a store. Remember, you used to go to the store. Now you have to have an experience. Now your store has got to make you feel good or feel a certain way or take positions. How about just be a store? What else happened here? Target made some bold commitments to increase black representation among its team members across the country, companies, vendors, and service providers, and accelerate opportunities for them. Hmm. Uh, does that mean less opportunities for people who are not black? Very probably so, actually. How about opportunities for whoever makes the best damn product, right? Or whoever is the best vendor, or whoever the, the cheapest vendor, whatever. Whatever the stuff, you know there's a way to run a store without worrying about all this nonsense. Urged by the podcast host to comment on criticisms accusing Target and other brands of profiteering from woke capitalism by embracing DEI initiatives, Cornell said that the retailer's choices were driven by a desire to do the right thing for all families in the United States. What's really happening here? Because, number one, profiteering, they're not actually making money. This is an expense. This is a hassle. And this is totally unnatural. This is, the consumers aren't looking for this. Just because activists want it, that doesn't mean the consumers want it. What he's doing is to keep those activists quiet, he's going along with it. He doesn't want them picketing his house or looking at his compensation package. By the way, how much does he make? <laughs> we'll get to that. See, this is what happens when you go woke. You go broke, Brian Cornell. When we think about purpose at Target, it's really about helping all the families, and that all word is really important. Oh, really? So before you showed up, you were only talking about white families? Huh? Is that right? Give me a break. And you know, Michelle Obama actually shopped at Target. She had no problem with the place. Remember that? She went incognito. She did. She went incognito, and well, she complained of racism, actually. <laughs> she complained because uh, somebody asked her to get something off the shelf, another customer. Well, Michelle's pretty damn tall. Oh, by the way, what? You can't ask anybody for help? If It's just so stupid. Um, we want to do the right thing to support families across the country. And when it's true to our purpose and true to our culture, we lean in to support families across the country. Newsweek says Cornell said that embracing DE and I initiatives fueled much of Target's growth over the last nine years, adding that he could see the benefits 
for our shareholders. I don't believe it. You can always play games with those books, right? The things we, there's nobody, there's no serious businessman, and I know a few, and I actually know some very serious military guys, generals, um, I know a few, and not one of them is saying that any of this DEI stuff is making anything better. It's not making, this is defense. He's playing defense for his own career. Uh, all right, DEI is great. Even the tuck-friendly swimsuit. I didn't even know what a tuck-friendly swimsuit was. Did you? It's a swimsuit, I guess, with a little bit of extra fabric so you can hide your penis or tuck your penis between. It's got a little pocket for the penis so you can masquerade as a not having a package when you have one. I hate to be crude, but that's kind of what it is. It's ludicrous, of course. No one seems to have learned from the Dylan Mulvaney thing. Dylan Mulvaney, all right, great. Number one, they lost money, but they don't really care about that. This is all about keeping the power, keeping the clout, keeping the status, but they're losing that. The CEO of Anheuser-Busch has been tap dancing ever since that whole stuff went down. I guess you got to learn this stuff firsthand, right? You got to learn it for yourself. Ah, uh, all right. So Brian Cornell, how much longer do we give him? Uh, and let's just see. Brian Cornell compensation. I'm going to say he makes $12 million a year. But that's uh, just a guess. Target. Let's see. And then some of this stuff is. Mm. Oh, Brian Cornell made $19,758,766, according to salary.com. That's when you factor in the bonus and all that stuff. He's got a $1.4 million base pay. Uh, $3.9 million in bonus and non-equity incentive compensa- compensation. Total cash compensation is $5.3 million. Stock options, $13.7 million. Total equity, $13 million. Other, 612000 What the hell is that? For a total of $19 million. So uh, when you... Uh, when you make $19 million and you're a white male in America, you, uh, you're an endangered species, very much so. And you gotta, I mean, unless you're a, a, a quarterback for a sports team or something like that, but I don't know. Let's see if there's anything else we should know about him. I don't, I think he's in trouble though. You go woke, you go broke. He's about to lose all this stuff. He's about to lose it. Um, and I can't, I can't fault him for wanting to keep his job, but to, uh, to say that little kids need trans-friendly stuff in the Target store, that's uh, that's pretty insane. Hey, James Comer is still doing his thing. He's the Oversight Committee Chair from Kentucky, Congressman. This guy should be the most famous guy in the world right now. He's not. I mean, uh, Adam Schiff was on the Sunday shows, and they made him basically a household name. Well, I guess Trump did as well. House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer says an informant file that he's seeking from the FBI links President Biden to a $5 million bribery scheme while he was vice president. We knew that there was a document that said as much, but we didn't know the $5 million part. And there are other details here. Post, Comer revealed the size of the alleged bribe for the first time this week in a letter to FBI Director Christopher Wray, threatening him with contempt proceedings if he doesn't share the file pursuant to a May 3rd subpoena. The informant tip is dated June 30th, 2020. Comer wrote an additional clue in the mysterious allegation that triggered a guessing game due to the Biden family's extensive consulting work in countries where the then vice president held sway. In a remarkable coincidence, Ukrainian officials held a press conference in Kiev on June 13th, 2020, 17 days before the FBI tip-off. 
where they showed off $5 million in cash allegedly offered as a bribe to end an investigation of natural gas company Parisma founder Nikola Zolevsky. Wow. Hey, you know what? I think this is a big part of the puzzle as to why we are 1,001 billion percent all in with Ukraine in the war with Russia. I hate war. I wish there wasn't a war. I really wish we didn't get out of Afghanistan in such a botched way as to invite Putin to invade another country because our reaction would be so, well, we'd be so weak. We couldn't, but this is happening because of Joe Biden. Burisma first employed Hunter Biden from June 2014 to 2019, and an executive from the firm met with Vice President Biden at an April 16, 2015 dinner. It's all so deep, and this is now, and what is Christopher Ray doing not keeping this paperwork from us? Christopher Ray. Like, uh, well, let me think here. Let's see if we can unpack this. They don't want Trump to win, and they want to support Biden. That's what the FBI is doing, and that's what they're doing full time. They got caught doing it, and they got away with it, oh, by the way. As Rudy Giuliani said, if you don't arrest anybody, if you don't charge anybody, there's no deterrence. So they're going to do the same thing all over again. Does that sound like America? Ain't that America? That's not America. Uh, Not by a long shot. Hey, you know about Lauren Boebert? The congresswoman from Colorado. She's a Republican. I really like her. Uh, she's an amazing, strong woman. Uh, has like a whole bunch of kids and, uh, she, she tells the story. I mean, she got pregnant when she was like 18 and, uh, she didn't go to college, I don't believe. She just started working and she's a business owner and look, she's a bit of a firebrand and she's very, very impressive, very eloquent, powerful speaker. And she believes in America first and MAGA. And, of course, that's why she's public enemy number one when it comes to the mainstream media. So something happened at her house in Colorado. I guess, I mean, uh, well, I don't know. There was an argument. Allegedly, the husband was beating up one of the kids. Allegedly, right? Allegedly uh, may have been abusive. We don't know that, though. We don't know that. We do have this, though. There's a 911 call. That's been released to the public, and it's of a Bobert child crying to the 911 operator. The kid, it doesn't sound like a like a child under the age of 10. It sounds like maybe 16, 17, 18 to me. He's very upset, and something bad happened. He said nothing physical, but he did call the police, and that's that's a big deal. And Lauren Bobert, congresswoman, gets on the phone, and she says, I understand you guys have to come, but just know this. You know, my son is fine. You know, he's not hurt. And that's that's the extent of it, really. Uh, the left is trying to exploit this, and some of them are having fun with it. I think we have to uh, not release 911 tapes anymore. It seems we do it selectively. We do it very selectively, very weird, right? I mean, sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. I think it's a violation of privacy. I also think that, well, if you know that's going to be on the news, if you're going to call it 911 and you're worried about, well, violation of your privacy or someone else's privacy or you know you want to keep it just because you want the police department to come doesn't mean you want to be on the news or i mean i don't know i just what i think it could do is deter people make them less uh inclined to call for the police some people are they're more afraid of public exposure than 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 injury or death they'd rather die than be embarrassed and maybe some people will will take that uh, path 
if they're afraid of these 911 tapes. And this goes for anybody, liberal, conservative, famous, not famous. I mean, the Kardashians, I think, wasn't the Kardashians, wasn't one of the, they, they put everything uh, out there. TMZ, they get it. I, I guess technically it's, it's public information. Technically, we own it. Technically, it's ours. If that's the case, though, why haven't we seen the January 6th security camera footage? Why, Speaker McCarthy, do you only give that to Tucker Carlson and not the rest of us? We want to see it. By the way, it looks like they're going to get this debt ceiling thing all straightened out. Be right back. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. You know, it's tough to read on a computer. Um but it's a little bit easier to read in, in physical form. I've got in my hand the Durham report by special counsel John Durham, the investigation into the bogus investigation of Donald Trump, Crossfire Hurricane, which they initiated right in the middle of the 2016 campaign. Uh, bogus uh, predicate, there was no predicate, nothing sufficient to investigate a candidate, a major party candidate like Donald Trump running for president. Uh, they had no basis for the investigation, and John Durham proves that he establishes that this thing should be the biggest it should still be the biggest story in the world but uh they buried it in language befitting a telephone book i mean it's the most boring uninteresting hard to decipher they did it on purpose because john durham i think wants to remain a member of the swamp in good standing they they're guilty of everything they've ever accused donald trump of and even when they're caught they're still protected. They're still protected. You can get this Durham report on uh, on Amazon. And actually, I just got it here. It's 300 pages. It's actually, because I've been reading it online, and it's funny. When I read it online in a PDF, the PDF would, um, would, would just suddenly disappear. My computer would crash. I'm not saying it's related, that the government didn't want me reading this report, but the government does not want me reading this report or you reading this report. So if you can, it's better to read it uh, if you can get a copy of it uh, like that. Uh, let's talk to Tony in Clifton. Hi, Tony. Hi, Greg. Um, thank you for taking my call. So on Lauren Boberg, you know, she recently issued articles of impeachment for President um, Benedict Biden. I don't know if you're aware of that. I thought it was Marjorie Taylor Greene. I didn't know that Lauren Boebert did oh, that. Oh, no, no, you're right. It was Marjorie Taylor Greene. You're right. You're right. Okay. You're definitely right. So, but, you know, I think it's funny because for, for Pelosi, we never got any police reports. That's what we were all talking about when the whole thing was going on at her house. Everything was very hush-hush. Well, we ultimately got some. That was a total scam. There's something very weird about that case. Very, very, very weird. Um, that was very weird. I don't but- believe the whole damn thing, to be honest. I don't. I'm sorry. I, I just, there's such, it's so suspicious. And they acted in the most a bizarre fashion. Law enforcement, the whole thing, it didn't make sense. And sure enough, Nancy Pelosi goes into hiding until Monday night, November 3rd, the eve of the election. The eve of the, we didn't hear from her for a month. And the eve of the election, she comes out and says, January 6th and Trump are to blame for what happened to my husband, Paul. In the room, in the uh, in the room inside the house, uh, I really we didn't uh, we <laughs> whatever happened to that guy to Papo? Oh, by the way, I think he's still in jail. Um, you know, somebody tried to burn down a, a Chinese restaurant in Berkeley, California. Uh, they're they're walking all over town. That's that's fine. How about the woman who took the machete out on the New York Post reporter? 
the, she got a desk appearance ticket. She was, she was out of, she, five minutes later, she's at Burger King. It's crazy. Anything else you wanted to say about Lauren Boebert? No, you know what I wanted to tell you, thinking about your guests and the January 6th people, and it is Memorial Day, and I do love my country. I, I think about one person who could have really stopped the whole January 6th thing, and, and I don't know if you feel that way, but Vice President Pence could have really made that day have a different turnout. So I always hold that against Well, him. I agree, but do me a favor real quick. Tell me how you think he would have he could have changed things. I think he should have said that we cannot go forward with a vote based on um, what happened. I think it was in Hawaii. And you January are exactly 19th. right. Now, listen, if that was his opinion, and I disagree, I think he had more latitude under the Constitution, under the Electoral Count Act of 1887. But we now know, based on his own memoirs and the interviews he's given, that his mind was made up before January 6th. If only he had shared that with the world and said, don't expect anything to happen because I'm just gonna I'm just gonna pass the buck on this one. I'm not gonna do anything. It all could have been avoided. You're right. Greg Kelly on the Red Apple Podcast Network. That general we were talking about yesterday, the new guy, the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs of uh, Staff. Hey, you know one of the great things about being a Christian? You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't. You do your best. You know, you, you, you read the Bible. God will take care of it. God can do any, everything. All right. Uh, there is a way to get closer to Him and it is through the Bible. And, you know, I used to think, gosh, you got to work really, really hard. You know what I mean? You got to do good. You have to do good. You have to, you have to impress people. You have to impress God. You have to, you know, you have to really work hard. You got to work hard to earn your place into heaven and, of course, uh, it does not work that way. It does not work that way at all. Uh, it's funny because everybody kind of thinks it does. Maybe I did, especially when I was a kid. And then you do something bad and then, oh, boy, I'll never get into heaven. Oh, oh boy. Oh, I might as well just give up. Oh, hope for the best. I don't know. I can't know who can live up to all this stuff. But when God becomes reality to you, when you know that he is right there watching everything, knows everything, knows everything you've done, knows everything good, everything bad, and still loves you, and even if you've been bad, 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 you're still, he still wants to save you. And then, when you feel this incredible, unspeakable generosity, that's just, it, it, there are no yeah, words. Uh, you want to do good. And it's not to, it's not to impress him. It's, it's just natural. I mean, and you certainly, it's more than, you don't want to do anything to offend him also. I, I mean, Manor, Pacific if Air the Force, master of the universe was sitting right Force. next to you right an now, you would probably behave differently if you knew he was there. The well, he is. And, um, when I remember that, Here's what I'm thinking I behave about. differently. Now, um, about you can get caught up, I, I know, and one of the reasons why people don't talk about stuff like this is because, uh, well, they're, they're fully aware that they're not perfect, and I am fully aware that I'm not perfect, and I'm fully aware that I got all kinds of people out there, wait a second, I know what this guy, I know, I know something about that guy, he, well, who the hell is he to talk like that? Well, here I am. Uh, Ephesians, Ephesians is what I was reading, uh, not to, this morning actually, Ephesians, by Paul. That guy, hey, if Paul, you know, Paul was actually killing Christians. 
Paul, when he was Saul, was killing Christians. He hated he hated it. He was throwing rocks at Stephen's head. They buried him up, and, and he was leading the charge. And then, boom, like a bolt of lightning, he figured it out. Now, that bolt of lightning may come, may not come, or it's going to come and may be small, but telling you, if you start reading the Charles Stanley, like, in, in the Bible, I should say. For me, I needed the little, the little footnotes that helped. Charles Stanley, no longer with us, died earlier this month at the age of, the wings my chest was 89. And they I'm so questioned by another military member. So privileged to have, to have met him. I'm thinking about how I sometimes and, felt and my he comments more than were anyone. received to represent uh, the African American perspective. The world, the world, when it's just my the world is informed by being the world is the world. It's kind of supposed to be broken. I'm thinking I know about some of the instances of comments made without awareness by others. The only I'm thinking about Chance being a captain have. at the Oak Club is, with my squadron uh, and being told by and, other uh, African Americans. Anyway, that I wasn't it's black available enough, to everyone, I and I will probably leave it at that, right? I should them. leave it at that. You don't want to. This is. I'm thinking a, about my mentors. This is not the hour of power, although kind of, quite frankly, like it is. <laughs> Every I'm thinking about the sound advice that's led to my You know, he can help you with the little things. And even so, most of my mentors can not to my experience as an African American. It's all there. In, I'm thinking about the pressure I felt to perform error-free, right. so especially for So what do we know about this new general? Hey, Matt, are you there? Do we have the new general speaking? Yes, we do. He, Great. Uh, he, made a, he made quite a speech. So this is General Charles Q. Charles Q. Brown has done amazing things in his life. I'm thinking about the airmen that have lived. Well, he became a four-star general. He became a fighter pilot. He raised an amazing family. Um his dad was a very impressive career military officer, and he's got all this status, and he's got all this, uh, you know, I mean, influence, and that's good, right? That's really good. Then why the hell was he talking like this with four stars in the United States military? He became a star because of this woke speech. Now, some of it you may think, okay, there's a good point or two, but he was so out of his lane and quite frankly, so down on America. And of course, Joe Biden thinks that's uh, that's great. And now he becomes the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Are we ready? Okay, this is it. This is uh, it's about a month or so after George Floyd dies, and he happens to be black. And um, it looks like at times he's going to start crying. So keep that in mind. Let's go ahead and watch this or listen. As the commander of Pacific Air Forces, a senior leader in our Air Force, and an African-American. Many of you may be wondering what I'm thinking about, the current events surrounding the tragic death of George Floyd. Can I just say one thing first? Having been in the military, I had no idea who the hell the commander was of Pacific Forces. Or, you know, once you go above the squadron level, I don't know who the hell. I, you, you don't, everyone's wondering what I'm going to say. He had no business saying anything. All right? But I think he had a career, there was a career thing. And also he probably had all kinds of grievance, all kinds of grievance that he's going to unload right now. Here's what I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about how full I am with emotion, not just for George Floyd, but the many African-Americans that have suffered the same fate as George Floyd. I'm thinking about protests in my country, tis the sweet land of liberty, the equality expressed in our Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that I've sworn my adult life to support and defend. And thinking about a history of racial issues and my own experiences that didn't always sing of liberty and equality. And thinking about living in two worlds, each with their own perspective and views. 
I'm thinking about my sister and I being the only African-Americans in our entire elementary school and trying to fit in. I'm thinking about then going to a high school where roughly half the students were African-American and trying to fit in. All right. Now, that's the thing. All right. Wait. Again, I, I don't get it. All right. In one school, there are too many white people. And when there are only two black people, okay, then he goes to, it's it's split right down the middle, and he's still kind of uh, bothered by it, and he's on the verge of crying, he's, uh, I don't, and those protests, oh, by the way, were violent protests, violent protests that engulfed America. They weren't peaceful, they weren't beautiful. Why is he doing this? Keep going. I'm thinking about my Air Force career where I was often the only African-American in my squadron, or as a senior officer, the only African-American in the room. I'm thinking about wearing the same flight suit with the same wings on my chest as my peers, and then being questioned by another military member, are you a pilot? I'm thinking about how I sometimes felt my comments were perceived to represent the African-American perspective, when it's just my perspective informed by being African-American. I didn't catch that. I don't. Uh, I, I. I must say, I don't. I don't quite get that. But um, there's more. I'm thinking about some of the insensitive comments made without awareness by others. I'm thinking about being a captain at the O Club with my squadron and being told by other African Americans that I wasn't black enough, since I was spending more time with my squadron than with them. Now that's a thing. Oh, by the way, that's a thing. There is a thing, and no one. <laughs> Barack Obama has spoken about this. He's even written about this. This would seem to be a cultural issue, can I say, in the African-American community. I think that might be an issue. But I guess only uh, only Barack Obama can talk about it, and only this man can talk about it when he wants to. Uh, that sounds like there's something there that really needs to be worked on. But okay. You know, welcome to the world, pal. I'm sorry. People make horrible comments all the time. All right? It's rough out there. It stinks. If we let it, if we approach the world like that, it can be, you're not alone, but all right, keep going. Them. I'm thinking about my mentors and how I, rarely I had a mentor that looked like me. Oh, shut up. I'm sorry. You know what? You were lucky enough to have a mentor. You know how many people go through life, you know, on their own, totally on their own, alone? You didn't have, of all the mentors you had in the military, you're complaining now that too many of them were white. Can you believe this? And they're promoting this guy to be chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. This is hideous. You know, I could see if you really wanted to help people. You know why he's a general? You know why he's a fighter pilot? You know why he's done all these amazing things? Because he had a great father, his dad, who was there when he was commissioned. His mom, he grew up in an intact family. That's why he was able to do all the things he was able to do. And that's an amazing thing. Hey, it's why I was able to do all the things I was able to do. Family. Family's being destroyed. But we're going to pretend it's something else. And people who know better are scared to say anything about it because they're going to, the, the mob may come for you or somebody may say something on Twitter or somebody may say something to the HR person. Ooh, somebody's feelings might get hurt. Is he almost done? Because this is really getting me, uh, is he almost done? Um, two minutes left. All right, let's do it. I'm thinking about the sound advice that has led to my success. And even so, most of my mentors could not relate to my experience as an African-American. Sorry. 
I'm thinking about the pressure I felt to perform error-free, especially for supervisors I perceive had expected less from me as an African-American. Hey, welcome to the world again, and welcome to the military. Everybody's under pressure. Error-free? That's what people expect. That's one of the problems in the military, oh, by the way. One mistake and you're gone. Often. That's why everybody's afraid to do something. All right, keep going. Sorry. I think about having to represent by working twice as hard to prove their expectations and perceptions of African-Americans were invalid. I'm thinking about the airmen that have lived through similar experiences and feelings as mine. Or who what does were. that mean exactly, twice as hard? How does how does has he quantify that, really? Twice as hard is literally working twice as hard because he's black and he does want every... I, I, I think this is a cliche. I think people talk like that sometimes, and it's a cliche. It doesn't really... I think when you're in the heat of the moment, when you're in the job, you just do the job. But then again, I never walked in his shoes, and I don't look like him, and he doesn't look like me, right? Okay, all right, yeah, that's what it's all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, please, continue, General. Either consciously or unconsciously unfairly treated. Conversely, I'm thinking about the airmen who don't have a life similar to mine and don't have to navigate through two worlds. I'm thinking about how these airmen view racism, whether they don't see it as a problem since it doesn't happen to them, or whether they're empathetic. I'm thinking about our two sons. Now we had to prepare them to live in two worlds. I'm thinking about the frank and emotional conversations my wife and I have had with them just this past week as we discuss the situations that have led to the protests around our country. Finally, I'm thinking about my historic nomination to be the first African-American to serve as the Air Force Chief of Staff. Oh, by the way, you know who nominated him? You know who uh, gave him this job? President Trump. President Trump. Just keep that in mind. Keep going. I'm thinking about the African-Americans that went before me to make this opportunity possible. I'm thinking about the immense expectations that come with this historic nomination, particularly through the lens of current events plaguing our nation. I'm thinking about how I may have fallen short in my career and will likely continue falling short, living up to all those expectations. Well, you fell short right here, but you've been rewarded. You've been rewarded by our corrupt culture and government. I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. What difference does it make, quite frankly? You're a man in uniform, a fighting man in uniform. Get better at flying that F-16 jet and get your pilots better at flying the F-16 jet. All this other junk, you know it gets in the way. This is not your, this is quit the Air Force and uh, run run for state senator or something like that, huh? Boy, I thought... I thought Mark Milley was bad. Oh, boy, I thought Mark Milley was bad. Mm-mm. Well, he was bad. This is not as bad. This is just a speech, all right? Granted, you know, and what's his name? Uh, Milley, the stuff that he did. All right. We're almost there. Keep going. I'm thinking about how my nomination provides some hope, but also comes with a heavy burden. I can't fix centuries of racism in our country nor can I fix def- decades of de- discrimination that may have impacted members of our Air Force. I'm thinking about how I can make improvements personally, professionally, and institutionally so that all airmen, both today and tomorrow, appreciate the value of diversity and can serve in an environment where they can reach their full potential. Okay, what is the value of I- diversity? What is the value of diversity? I don't know. I mean, I... What about the whole idea of being colorblind? You're telling me a squadron full of white pilots is somehow, I don't know, just not as good as a squadron full of black pilots. Uh, the Tuskegee Airmen, uh, should we 
Were they not good because they were all black? I, I mean, it's, it's, it's an absurd thing, but that's kind of where that goes. I, I do believe logically so, right? All right, a little bit more. I think I don't have all the answers on how to create such an environment, whether here in PACAF or across our Air Force. I'm thinking about without clear-cut answers. I just want to have the wisdom and knowledge to lead during difficult times like these. I want the wisdom and knowledge to lead, participate in, and listen to necessary conversations on racism, diversity, and inclusion. I want the wisdom and knowledge to lead those willing to take committed and sustained action to make our Air Force better. That's what I'm thinking about. I wonder what you're thinking about. I want to hear what you're thinking about and how together we can make a difference. All right. Uh, here's a little wisdom and knowledge. Stay the hell out of domestic politics. Stay in your lane. And if you really want to help people, you really want to talk about issues, race, right? Think about your dad and what he gave you. Greg Kelly, entertaining and informative on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Still can't believe that guy is all upset that there were not more black mentors, but he had mentors in the military. He had mentors. You know, not everybody in the military actually had mentors. You know, it's, uh, wow, that, uh, yikes, yikes. I want to see what happens during the confirmation hearings. Tommy Tuberville, Republican of Alabama, uh, has a lot of concerns, and I don't think he's afraid to speak about them. Uh, Maria in Short Hills, yes, hi. Hi, Greg. Happy Friday and happy Memorial Day. Um, a great interview you had with Kara Castronova regarding the January Sixers. You know, the left described them as insurrectionists and invading our capital. How about the over six million illegals who have invaded our country since Biden became president? Now, there was one person who was murdered on January 6th, and you always keep her name alive, Ashley Babbitt, a veteran. How many American citizens have been killed or raped, and let's not even talk about fentanyl, at the hands of illegals? The only way that we're going to dig ourselves out of this mess is through a lot of prayer and, God willing, President Trump becoming our president again in 2024. I agree. I think it's going to take miracles, but miracles happen. Miracles happen. And God loves to answer prayers, and uh, I think you are right. I really do, and I appreciate it very much, very, very much. Uh, let's see. Hey, I'm gone on Monday. It's Memorial Day. Dominic Carter will be in. He's do does a great job. Um, I'll do Peter and then uh, and Barbara. Peter, yes. Hi. Thanks for uh, taking my call. I appreciate it. Um, did you notice there's no squealing anywhere? Durham report doesn't mean anything. Six million illegals doesn't mean anything. But nobody's talking about January 6th anymore. What do you mean by that? Nobody's talking about January 6th anymore. It comes up all the time. It dominates. Uh, half the town hall was about January 6th, uh, CNN. I mean, you do. You no, do. I mean, it, it was, it was, it, it, not, I'm not the only one. It does come up. I mean, from their perspective, from the left perspective, it was the worst threat against democracy since the Civil War and all that stuff. But I can't say it's unremarked upon. That everybody asked for, including the left, nobody asked for them anymore. Nobody asked for what? Nobody asked for the videos of the surveillance. of. The oh, well, they didn't want them to begin with. It's so suspicious. And uh, by the way, I'm on that. I'm on that. Um, uh, Speaker McCarthy, I want to see those things, and we're making uh, – we're making the appropriate overtures. Thank you very much. And uh, wrapping things up, sorry I can't get to all the calls. Barbara, hello. Hello, Greg. Welcome to Florida. And uh, 
I wanted to say you're channeling Thomas Jefferson today again, because when you were talking about the Oath Keeper who has been sentenced to 18 years and his judge quoting what the man believes and what he thinks, and Thomas Jefferson agrees with you, he said, well aware that the opinions and belief of men depend not on their own will, but follow involuntarily the evidence proposed to their minds. Almighty God hath created the mind free and manifested his supreme will that free it shall remain. And so these thought crimes are unheard of, unacceptable, unconstitutional, etc. God hath created the mind free. Our nation was founded on that. Wow. Thomas Jefferson could think those things, could say those things, and he was an architect as well. <laughs> he, what, what did Kennedy say? Remember, he had all those Nobel laureates, there were like a 100 Nobel laureates at the White House, and he said, we haven't had so many smart people at the White House since uh, Thomas Jefferson ate here by himself. <laughs> right, right. And, Greg, I wanted to say, um, hearing about the friends that you lost in the service, uh, that's so sad. I'm so sorry for you losing all those friends. Uh, and uh, thinking of Memorial Day, I have a prayer. I wonder if I could read. for. Okay, go for it. We only have a few seconds left, but go for it. Okay. Oh, God, by whose mercy the faithful departed find rest, look kindly on your departed veterans who gave their lives in the service of their country. Love it, Barbara. Thank you so much. Amen. See you soon.